And speaking of family again, we, uh, as a church family, have an awesome, uh, I don't know, sister church? Is that what you would call Veritas Cedar Rapids? I don't know. But we have an awesome uh, family over in Cedar Rapids, and Jake Each from Cedar Rapids is going to be up here this morning preaching for us, and he is going to be dropping the word, and it is awesome, guys. You are going to be encouraged, you're going to be confronted, and I hope that you are going to see Jesus as clear as ever this morning. So I'm going to pray for Jake as he comes up here, as he brings God's word. God, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for your family. Thank you that we can come here not just to be uh, filled up by man's wisdom and uh, just be excited by cool things and maybe political stances or things that we all agree on, Lord, but thank you for your word that binds broken sinners together, that brings new life to desperate people like us. And so I pray for Jake this morning that, that the word he brings will encourage us, it'll challenge us, It'll make you look really, really good. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How we doing? We good? All right, first off, we are not your sister. You are our parents. You've gone and done born us. So we are your kids. And we're forever grateful for that. Uh, thank you so much. It was the vision of your leadership and your generosity that made it possible for us to have ministry in Cedar Rapids. And if I had more time, I would tell you the number of stories of people that are, have come to faith and are growing their faith that would thank you for what you've done. So thank you so much for leading out in that. And we are, we are excited to continue to just have a great relationship, being just right up the road. Continue to be blessed by you guys. Ryan came up and spoke at our youth event this weekend and did a tremendous job. So thank you so much. Excited to be here. It's always a thrill. Uh, and we're getting back into 1 Corinthians. I know it's been a minute since we've been in Corinthians. So if you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to get right to work. 1 Corinthians. Jeff left us off uh, in chapter 8. So we're going to pick up with chapter 9. So as you're turning there, let me just kind of set the stage. There are so many different voices in our life that are kind of pulling us in different directions. Things that you should care about, things that you should make your life about, decisions you're trying to make, what should I get, do for a living, where should I live, should I get married, shouldn't I get married, what social issues should I be passionate about, what social issues should I be most passionate about, um, what should I give my life to, Why can my, how can my life matter, and it's just be difficult to be like, how do we not lose our way in the midst of that? Where there's so many passionate, loud voices kind of demanding your passion as well and your time and your attention. How do we navigate that as followers of Jesus in this world? And I'm going to start off the bat just kind of giving you the answer, the big idea, if you promise to listen to the rest of what I have to say. Okay, so one promise, we'll get there. But here's the point. A Christian life should be guided by a gospel priority. That we should have a gospel priority, and if we do have a gospel priority, it will guide our lives practically. And today in chapter 9, we get this amazing chapter on how sharing the gospel uh, should be uh, this guiding priority in our life. That This call to tell other people that despite our brokenness and despite our sinfulness, God has pursued us. In the person of Jesus Christ, it offers us forgiveness and an opportunity uh, to be reconciled back to our maker and enjoy him and his glory forever. That's good news, right? Amen. That's really good news. That's this tremendous news. And we've been called to share it. Now, maybe you're somebody who has believed the gospel. Maybe you're somebody who has embraced the gospel. But my question for you are, is, do you prioritize the gospel? Like I, 
I don't know, no one's ever asked me that. I haven't thought of it that way. Like, what, what do you mean do I prioritize the gospel? What I mean is, is the gospel something that shapes and guides your life, your thinking, your actions, your time management? Like, are you guided and shaped by the gospel? Because here's where it gets really important. If you are not guided by a gospel priority, then you are being guided by lesser things. And if you're being guided by lesser things, that will lead you to wrong places and bad conclusions. And I think we can be honest that today nobody needs really much help finding their way to bad conclusions and wrong places. If we're honest, we can say, like, yeah, we could use some guidance. We could use some guidance. So what does having a gospel priority that actually guides your life look like? Like, what does that look like practically? Well, in uh, chapter 9, Paul's going to give us some examples of his own life. It's like, I'm living with a gospel priority, and these are the, the real implications that it has in my life. These are the practical differences uh, that they are making in my life. So we're going to look at three signs of a life that's guided by a gospel priority. So as we do that, you can kind of look at your life and be like, okay, do I line up with that? Do I have a gospel priority in my life that's, that's practically guiding me? But what we really want to get to is why is Paul telling us this here in chapter 9? I believe that there is a lesson in the context of these passages. You with me? That's okay. In Cedar Rapids, they talk back sometimes. Just be nice to your guest, okay? Let's go. Chapter 9, uh, we're going to read the first 19 verses, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. But he starts off just kind of posing a lot of questions that we'll try to answer as we go through. So he says, am I not free? The answer is yes, he is free. Am I not an apostle? The answer is yes, Paul is an apostle. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The answer is yes, he has. Uh, The resurrected Jesus led Paul to Jesus. So Paul was led to Christ by Christ. That happened, right? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Yes, they are Paul's workmanship in the Lord. If to others I'm not an apostle, because some people were, were hating on Paul, At least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Like your evidence that God is working through me, this new life that that you're experiencing. Then he says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Because the issues that was going on is people were taking shots at Paul. Like Paul's not legit. He he can't be trusted. I'm not in Paul's camp. I'm in a different camp. And Paul's kind of defending himself. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Yeah, they have the right to eat and drink. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter? It's like, do we not have the right to get married? Yeah, you have the right to get married. He wasn't married, but he had the right to get married. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So he's going to get in the next section of verses. He's going to defend the right for a gospel preacher to make money Uh, doing the work of ministry. Even though he wasn't doing that, he's saying it's okay to do that. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? No one. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? No one. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? No one. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, what he's talking about is you have grain laid out and an ox kind of treads it and breaks it up there. He's saying, don't put a, 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 a muzzle the ox or put something over his mouth. Let him eat while he works. He says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? 
It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? He's saying we have the right to get paid by you for the ministry that we're providing you. Now, he wasn't collecting a paycheck for doing that, but he's defending the right. Now, some of the people were attacking Paul, saying he's not really legit because you're not paying him. Basically, Paul's not the real deal because he's like a volunteer. Like he's doing this pro bono. So he, he doesn't have the same clout or authority as these other ministers that you have to pay money to. And Paul's defending his legitimacy and why he's not taking a paycheck. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Like we don't want you to think that we're just, you know, visiting for the money, for the paycheck. We have a deeper uh, calling than that. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. That's confusing. Like, what do you mean? You, you want to boast or you can't boast? We'll come back to that. It says, woe, for, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now what is really clear in these first 19 verses is Paul has a passion for sharing the gospel. Like this is, I, this is what I'm doing. Like this is what I'm passionate about. I have a priority in my life to share the gospel. In fact, in another letter he writes to the Corinthians, it's in 2 Corinthians, he goes into this a little bit more. In chapter 5, he's talking about... Um, if we seem crazy, as, you know, if we seem a bit radicalized here, if, it, it's because of God. If we seem in our right mind, it's because of you. And what, I'm, what, I'm, what he's getting at is that the love of Christ compels us. Like if I seem crazy it's, you know, in trying to reach you with the gospel, that it's because of God. Like I'm compelled by the gospel. I'm compelled by the love of Christ. And let's be honest, Paul had some crazy in him, didn't he? Yeah, okay. Yeah, some crazy. I was just going to see who said Paul crazy in church. Yeah, Paul had some crazy. Like to, to go into a town and preach the gospel and get beat and left for dead and then get up and be like, well, let's keep doing that, right? That's some crazy, right? He, he had some crazy. He's like, if we seem crazy, it's because we're compelled by the love of Christ. If we seem in our right mind, it's just because we're trying to relate to you, but what we're compelled by the love of Christ to share it. Then you go down uh, in, in verse 20 and he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Like, we're here to represent Christ and spread his message. And God is making his appeal to you through us. And this is God's appeal. Be reconciled to God. He says, we implore you. We implore you. Like, I'm telling you, like, take God seriously. Wake up. Take this gospel seriously. Take Jesus Christ seriously. I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. Be reconciled to God while you still have the chance to. And then at the beginning of this rant, in verse 11, we kind of see what's motivating. He says, um, 
knowing the fear of the Lord, we're persuaded, we're, we're, we want to persuade others. It probably is behind me. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Like, it's the fear of the Lord that's motivating him to share the gospel with others. Paul had a holy fear of the wrath of God. It's like, God is real. The wrath of God is real. The judgment of God is real. And the grace of God is real. And the forgiveness of God is real. And the mercy of God is real. And he felt this weight and responsibility to share the gospel with people. But it wasn't just a burden. It wasn't just a responsibility. It was a duty because he's like, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't. Like, I have this stewardship to do it. But he's like, it's more than just a duty. It's also a joy. So if you go back to verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. What he's saying, like, I can't be like, look what I did. Look how godly I am. No, he's saying, no, necessity's laid upon me. I, I got to do this. I have to share this with other people. But then at the end of verse 15, he says, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So what is it? You have no grounds for boasting. You have a grounds for boasting. Like, what are you getting at, Paul? And one, he's saying, no, I can't brag that this is me because necessity is laid upon me. But on the other side, when it says, I, don't, I would rather die than somebody take away my grounds for boasting. It's more like uh, his grounds for reveling in or glorying in. It's like, you would have to kill me. I, I would rather die than you take away my privilege to share this great news with other people. I get so much joy by sharing the gospel with other people. Have you seen that when somebody's eyes that get forgiveness in Jesus Christ for the first time? That lights my life up. Like, I love that. You're going to have to kill me to stop me from just glorying and reveling in this opportunity to see God work through me as I preach his gospel to other people. Now, here's a question for all of us. Do you have that kind of passion when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people? Like, first off, do you feel the weight of it? Like, woe to me if I don't. Like, necessity is laid upon me. I, I've been given this news, and I am, I'm a steward of it. i got to share it. But you also find the joy. Like, I love it. I, I, this is the greatest message in the world. i got to share it. Like, do you have that kind of passion and priority when it comes to sharing the gospel? And Paul, his gospel priority was practical. Like, it was actually guiding his life and making a practical difference. Because these first 19 verses, what he's going through is all the sacrifices he's making in order to share the gospel. It's like, yeah, I could get married, but I've chosen not to, right? I could eat whatever I want when I want to, but I've chosen. There's times I choose not to, right? There, I could get a paycheck from you, but I'm choosing not to. And I'm making all these sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And it's spreading. Like, this is what's driving him. You can put it like this. I'm going to give you three kind of signs of being guided by gospel priority. This is the first one. A life that prioritizes the gospel is willing to make sacrifices to share the gospel. So when you look at your own life and examine it, a life that prioritizes the gospel is willing to make sacrifices to share the gospel. Now here's another way that Paul is being guided by a gospel priority. Look back at verse 19. And if you're somebody who marks up your Bible... I want you to circle uh, every time you see the word when, because it comes up frequently as Paul's driving home a point. Verse 19, he says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I have become a Jew in order to win Jews. 
to those under the law, I have become as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. It's like, I'm in here to win. Like there's some intentionality and I have purpose that's driving me. And he says, I do it, or maybe your translation says, I do this. What is the this or the it referring to? I make life adjustments in order to reach people. To the Jews, I become a Jew. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law. To the weak, I become a weak. I'm making all these adjustments for the sake of the gospel. Now, the big term for this is contextualization. Paul's contextualizing depending on his context and who's he sharing the gospel with. Because as gospel sharers, as ambassadors for Christ, we need to get the gospel right, and then we need to get the gospel out. We need, we need to know what the gospel is, but we also need to know the audience that we're sharing it to, right? Because sharing the gospel with uh, a grad student working at the university hospital, you might have a different angle or approach than sharing the gospel with a stay-at-home mom and Tiffany who doesn't want to get their kids vaccinated, right? Or, or sharing the gospel with somebody who lives in Iowa might be different than sharing the gospel with a college student in Asia. Like, you got to know your context. And we contextualize. This is good news. Hear this now. And we contextualize because the gospel is for all types of people. It's not tied to just one culture or one people group or one generation, right? The gospel is for all types of people, which we make adjustments to get to know different types of people in order to share the gospel with them because the gospel is for them. The gospel is for people... Even the people you don't like. A little foreshadowing there. We won't get there too quick. Now, contextualizing is not conforming. It's not conforming. I mean, he doesn't say, you know, to the immoral, I become immoral. You know, to the adulterer, I become an adulterer. No, he's like, I'm making adjustments, but I don't compromise. This isn't just about, uh, you know, overvaluing fitting in. In fact, when he says, like, to those outside the law, I become as one of those as outside the law. But it's not like I'm doing anything I want. I'm under the law of Christ, right? I'm still a follower of Jesus, but, but I get to know the people that I'm talking to. You get to know the people you're talking to because if you care about effectively spreading the gospel, you've got to intentionally get to know the people you're witnessing to. What's their story? What's their background? What are their interests? Where are they coming from? Like, how do I speak specifically to them the best news in the world? Like, how do I share it with them? Now, the pushback to this sometimes is, well, then you're just kind of treating people like projects, right? The only reason you're hanging out with this person is so that they'll become a Christian, which I would unapologetically say, yes, yes. I may enjoy the person, right? But, and it's not a project, but it is a mission. Like, yes, I do. Now, you don't stop loving someone if they don't become a Christian, but hopefully a major reason for your connection if you're living on mission is, I want this person to know Jesus. I want to share the gospel with them. I want them to understand forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. I mean, hopefully your answer is not no. Like, no, I don't care if you ever become a Christian or not. No, we're driven by mission. And that should show up in our relationships. And here's the thing that we got to understand. No one, no one, after understanding or have their eyes open to the King of Kings and understanding the reality of forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, is ever turns to their friend and be like, you tricked me, right? The only reason you had me over for dinner all those times was so that I would be like, how dare you? No, they're like, thank you. 
Thank you so much for your patience, for your pursuing me. Like, thank you so much for sharing this with me. So guys, do you have gospel sharing intentionality in your life? Like, are there people that come to mind that's like, I need to intentionally connect with them because I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. We need to have that family over more because we're trying to tell them about Jesus. Is there a gospel sharing intentionality in your life? Because listen, here's kind of the second sign of being guided by a gospel priority. A life that prioritizes the gospel is intentional in sharing the gospel. A life that prioritizes the gospel is intentional in sharing the gospel. Paul's gospel priority was actually guiding his life. He was saying, listen, to the Jews, I've become a Jew. To those outside the law, I've become outside the law. To the weak, I've become a weak. I'm making adjustments depending on my context for the sake of sharing the gospel. And then Paul goes into some sports talk, which is always fun, um, which is actually contextualization. So he's going to give some sports analogies, but he's doing it because he knows who he's talking to. See, Corinth hosted the Isma Games. It was like second to the Olympics. It was every other year. It was a big deal. Uh, the Corinthians loved it because it brought in a lot of spectators. It really helped their economy. Uh, but they kind of lived in a sports town. They lived in, in the place that hosted the games, and it was a big deal. And he's going to go into some sports talk. Um, it, it was done in the, the honor of the sea god Poseidon. And so the people in Corinth were, were used to this kind of athletic environment. And this is what he says to them. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. It is the prize. Like run, run to get the prize or, or run to win. Like that's why you play. You play the game, right? If you remember Herm Edwards, kind of his rant, like you play to win the game. Hello. Like you guys are looking at me. You don't even know who Herm Edwards is. Like forget it. Like you, you play to win. That's why you do it. I know today in our kind of youth sports environment, it's just like, just go have fun, right? It doesn't matter if you win or lose. Everybody's going to get a blue ribbon. Nobody's keeping score. That's stupid, right? <laughs> you know it. But here's the thing. Your kids are clapping, right? Because here's the thing. When you get in the car, every parent and every kid knows who won. Like everybody's keeping score. Because that's the point. Right? You may lose. You're afraid to get your inner child spanked or whatever. Like it's, like, it's the point. It's why you play. So Paul said, hey, Christians, Christians, you see those runners? Like, you know, in the Isthmus game, you see those runners? You see how hard they run? You see how hard they compete? You see how dedicated and devoted they are? Yeah, that's how we should live. You should share the gospel like, like an athlete competes. That's, that's what should drive you. Put it like this. Here's the third point. A life that prioritizes the gospel is devoted to sharing the gospel. A life that prioritizes the gospel is devoted to sharing the gospel. And he doesn't just compare it to athletics. He actually makes a contrast to athletics. In other words, he's saying, if they work that hard for sports, how much more should we be dedicated to our eternal calling and mission on this earth? Look at verse 25 through the rest of the chapter. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, at least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He said, I don't run aimlessly or just kind of beat the air. In other words, I have intentionality and purpose to my life. 
I have a dedication to my life. And he talks about self-control. He says, I discipline my body. And it's in this uh, context of talking about an athlete. Do you know how ridiculous an Olympic athlete's training regimen is? How committed they are? Do you know how hard it is to do a triple sow cow? Right? Do you even know why I know what a triple sow cow? I like to watch figure skating every four years, right? But they jump and twirl. It's difficult. You know, like to flip on a balance beam and land on like six inches? That's kind of tricky, right? It's going to take some practice. The dedication. Olympic swimmers, like male swimmers, will shave their body just for a fraction of a second. In my book, that's commitment, right? <laughs> like they have such dedication to their craft. And he's saying, how much more... Should we be dedicated to the things that we're called to that have eternal value? How much more? The Christian life, and this is, I love how he compares it to athletes and their devotion, just kind of sports in my background. Like it, I love it. But, but what we have to understand as Christians, whether you have an athletic background or not, or you like sports or don't, but here's what we have to understand. The Christian life is not easy. And we have to get out of our mind this kind of Americanized Western thinking that the Christian life is this easy comfortable, socially approved life. And we need to recapture this calling from Jesus of take up your cross and follow me, which is foreshadowing like this is going to be difficult and it might lead to your death. And you're like, all right, well, let's go. Let's do it. I mean, when in the uh, introduction, I know we're saying like, oh, Veritas, we're a bunch of normal people. Uh, But let's be honest. We're not normal. We're weird, right? Like, we believe something that the rest of the world thinks is ridiculous, and we're called to share it with them. We're in for a fight. We're in for a race. And it demands endurance and perseverance and resilience and toughness and some thick skin, but it's worth it. It's worth it. That's what Paul's saying. It's worth it because these guys that are so dedicated, they they get an imperishable Crown. Literally, though, if you won the Isthma Games in the Greek times, you would get dried celery leaf and kind of a, a crown. When Rome took over, it got upgraded to a pine wreath. All right, but, but that'll burn. That'll perish. How much more should we work for the crown of righteousness that is waiting for us? And I know that kind of even cheapens the idea of the reward because no athlete was like dreaming, like, if I could just get a, a dried celery leaf. Like, that's not why they were doing it, right? But can you imagine the social status? If I could be in an arena and accomplish that and have everybody shouting my name and have the validation of who I am and now have this status in society and have Caesar himself put this crown on my head, then I arrived, then I have value, and that's what I'm working for. But still, how much more should we live to stand before God the creator of the universe and such a cloud of witnesses and an angel army and hear the words from him, well done, good and faithful servant. This is Paul's call to us. is like, crank it up. Let's go, people. Do you understand your calling? So let's back up and I want to see kind of the whole section, kind of a bird's eye view on this. Um, Paul talks to us about his gospel priority um, his, his gospel passion, like the sacrifices he's willing to make for this. Then he talks to us about his, uh, his evangelistic strategy. Like I contextualize, you know, I, to the Jew, I become a Jew. To the one outside the law, I become outside the law. To the weak, I become weak. Like this is my plan. And, and then he talks, uh, he gives us a challenge. 
Like if athletes work this hard, how much more should we do it? Like let's, let's crank it up. Or if you can think about it like you have um, a gospel uh, passion, you have an evangelistic plan, and you have an eternal perspective. Like there is a finish line, keep your eye on the prize and run hard. But here's the thing that kind of blew my mind studying this a little bit. Why is he saying this now? Why are you getting at this here in chapter 9? Because this is an amazing chapter about how we need to uh, have this passion to share the gospel with other people. But what is really interesting is that Paul starts talking about the importance of evangelism in the middle of trying to help people figure out this controversial issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. If you remember, that's where Jeff left off in chapter 8. This whole book, he's addressing different issues in the church. And we get to this issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And really, he addresses it in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. He's trying to solve this. And in chapter 8, he's like, hey, I know uh, you've got a tough issue, but don't just ask what you can do. Ask what the loving thing to do is. And you're like, okay, love, that's, that's great. And then in, in uh, chapter 9, he kind of takes this hard left turn to evangelism. And you're like, wait a second, Paul, like, help, help the issue. He's like, I am. I know, but what, is, what does that have to do with this issue of meat sacrificed to idols that's tearing our church apart? And I know we don't deal with that particular issue. We don't go to high V on the meat counter. I'm just like, anything not sacrificed to Poseidon, that's what's for dinner, right? We don't deal with that. We have our own issues. We have our own struggles, our own fights, our own problems. We have our own issues that good and godly people disagree with. Can you imagine if Paul wrote us a letter trying to help us navigate it? And in that letter we read, and it's like, okay, don't just worry about what we can do. We've got to ask what the loving thing to do is. All right, check, that's good. That was really needed because we can get, we can get passionate and we can kind of lose ourselves. And, and that was a good reminder, love each other. Let's not forget that. And then he starts talking about evangelism. You're like, wait, what, what does that have to do with this? So think of it like this. Here, here's, the, here's the situation. You have two feuding sides. Two feuding sides. you got people that uh, will eat meat sacrificed to idols, and then you got people who won't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And they're in the same church. They're fighting. Who's right? Who's wrong? And it's kind of these two extremes. They're like, pick a side, Paul. Which, which is it? And it's black and white. You either do it or you don't do it. You're either allowed to do it or you're not allowed to do it. And you're kind of pushed to choose between one of these two extreme of views. Maybe you can relate to that, Right? And our country right now can seem like, which camp are you in? Who's your tribe? What, do you, what side do you pick? Either you're this kind of Antifa-supporting, racism is behind everything, you need to recognize all 5,000 genders, right? Or you're this alt-right, white supremacist, no such thing as racism, and every 10-year-old should pack heat. Like, what, what, two, what side are you on? You're kind of like, are those the only two teams in this game? Like, exactly. I pick a different side. or Like, it's a little complex in that. And Paul's like, you know, in this issue in Corinth, it's like, which side are you on, Paul? Are you one of those liberal people who will compromise anything and you'll have, you know, you'll go into any pagan temple and eat whatever's put in front of you and just intermingle with those kind of people? Or are you this ultra conservative person who doesn't want to go near, like you'll cross the street next to a a pagan temple. Like, which one is it, Paul? Pick a side. Paul's like, well, I can't eat anything. I mean, sometimes I choose not to. It's a little bit more complex than that. And where Paul speaks into the issue, his ultimate goal is to help people rise above the issue. And he does that by reminding them of their purpose. And here's the connection. We can't miss this. Issues fall under purpose. 
issues have to fall under purpose. Our purpose as Christians is to be ambassadors for Christ, to be on the Great Commission, to spread the gospel. So the issues we deal with have to be seen in light of our purpose so we don't get lost in them. The issues have to go through the purpose filter. Like, look, here's the issue, but the filter is, I'm an ambassador for Christ called to share the gospel with all people. How does this filter that issue? Because purpose puts issues in their place. Purpose puts issues in their place. For Paul, he's like, okay, how am I supposed to view and speak into this issue of whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols? As an ambassador for Christ, how am I supposed to speak into this issue as somebody who wants to see that person who is actually still making meat sacrifice to idols become a worshiper of Jesus? And how am I supposed to speak into this issue that still wants to see that person in Judaism who wouldn't even go near that become a worshiper of Jesus? How am I supposed to see this as an ambassador of Christ? How am I supposed to see this political issue as an ambassador for Christ? who wants to see that angry Antifa person understand that true justice is only found in Jesus Christ. And I want you to become a worshiper of Jesus. And how do I see this political issue as an ambassador of Christ who sees this angry alt-right person who storms the Capitol dressed like a buffalo, right? Understand that true freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. And I want you to become a worshiper of Jesus Christ. How do we see this social issue as an ambassador for Christ? who sees that person who won't leave their house without a mask on and is so terrified of the virus, become a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And how do I, as an ambassador of Christ, see this social issue when I want to see that person who is angry about masks or the idea that we would have to get vaccinated or something become a worshiper of Jesus Christ? There's so many extreme camps, and you get pushed to the extremes. Like, what, what kind of extreme are you? Guys, here is our extreme. We are gospel extremists. We become all things to all people that by all means we might win some. We are radicalized with the gospel. And we want to share it with everybody. That is our kind of crazy. So I'm pleading with you here. In the midst of a world where so many people are yelling different things, don't lose your way. I'm pleading with you in this kind of crazy world where so many people have different passions and different directions. Don't you forget what life is about and why you are here. Don't you forget your purpose. You are an ambassador for Christ. The best way to navigate the issues that come our way is to stay focused and passionate about our purpose, to be guided by a gospel priority because your life is going to be gone in a minute. In a minute, it's going to be over. And the only thing that will matter is do you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul tells Timothy, a young leader he was investing in in 2 Timothy 2.4, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, I'm not saying we don't care about the issues in our world, so don't hear me say that. But, Maybe you've gotten entangled in civilian pursuits. Maybe you've gotten entangled in these issues, and you're just all wrapped up and consumed by them, checking in on them every day, driving your emotions, affecting your life, your behavior, your actions. You're just entangled in them, and you need chapter 9. 
a reminder of what our life is about. That we are called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. And to look and see an example of what gospel passion really looks like. That woe to me if I don't preach. Necessities laid upon me. And I will become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I would rather die than have somebody take away the joy of sharing this good news with everybody. No matter what you think on this issue or what political aisle you land on. Guys, may we be a group of people who are led by a gospel priority. And may the gospel priority, to this, this passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody be the lens in which we see every other issue. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for forgiveness where politics has become a distraction to evangelism, where the economy has become a distraction to evangelism where mask or coronavirus has become a distraction to evangelism. We pray for forgiveness, for expressing more passion for economy or politics or mask than evangelism. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of what life is about. And may we be driven, willing to make sacrifices, being intentional, be devoted to telling anyone and everyone about the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.